Hi there, Matthew Parsons. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thanks. What can I do for you? What is Ghost Echoes? Ghost Echoes is a music history podcast with secret rules. Rule number one is... And then rule number two states that... And rule number three is that I'm not allowed to tell the listeners what the first two rules are. If you want to figure it out, you're going to have to subscribe to Ghost Echoes wherever you get podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by The Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and boy, do I have some ghouls for you. Today, we're finally closing the book on Nightmares and Dreamscapes after two long months of coverage. Back in June, we ran through TNT's 2006 miniseries, and we spent all of July ranking the stories in the 1993 collection from worst to best. It's admittedly been a polarizing run with you, constant listeners, but we think most, if not all of you, will be on the same page with us for today's episode. Ahead, we're going to talk about the remaining adaptations of King's stories from this era. Which one are those? Well, let's recap. We've already discussed Omni's last case, you know they got a hell of a ban, the end of the whole mess, the fifth quarter and crouch end from the aforementioned miniseries. So to clean up shop, we're going to be revisiting 2009's Dolan's Cadillac, vroom vroom, 1997's <laughs> Night Flyer, uh, whoosh, whoosh, uh, Chattery Teeth from 1997's Quicksilver Highway, and Moving the Moving Finger, from 1991's Monsters, an anthology series that this co-host had only found out about uh, hours ago. Uh, so I'm slithering <laughs> my finger across the mic to get the moving finger out there. But I will say, we could not find a stream of Sorry Right Number from the fourth season of Tales from the Dark Side, which is unfortunate because I feel like Tales from the Dark Side was streaming nonstop for years. But anyway, uh, it's a lot to unpack. And fortunately, I'm not alone. Joining, <laughs> joining, joining me on the airstrip tonight is. This is Mackenzie. I can't believe it's still Dreamscapes Gerber, <laughs> right? Uh, I you've been can't in believe the, we're still doing Nightmares and Dreamscapes. You've been in this stuff. journey for a very long time, Mac. I, 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 uh, oh, I applaud you. Lord. <laughs> God. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I, I've gone this far. I feel like I need to actually borrow <laughs> the the miniseries from you now, just to finish it. Yeah. for myself in a weird way Oof, that is torture that's that's a that's a little torturous I, I you know it's it's been hard because i feel like every summer for the most part um, maybe with the exception of the first year when we did this in 2017 i feel like we've had a a short story collection or some sort of uh you know multiple stories in one volume that that's carried us in and last year four past midnight was rough and i feel like this year Nightmares and Dreamscapes has been more nightmares than dreamscapes. What do you think? I would agree with you. Yeah. 100%. 
this is for me it was not a very strong collection right out the gate and i had never read any of these at all mm. so you know coming in fresh off the heels of of the last few books and i just i just felt like a big drop off sadly yeah. um yeah. It's, but it's, I started R- Rose Matter today, so ooh, nice. <laughs> I, which I know nothing about, which I'm really <laughs> excited. So I have uh, an intense drive to finish that. That's honestly one, been one of the more reassuring things of this run, at least for this year. I mean, I knew about Gerald's game, and I'd seen Dolores Claiborne years and years ago. But um, up ahead, I mean, God, I've had these books on my shelf forever, and especially Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and. Um, you know, I'd read a couple stories in the past, but it, it's been intri- it's been intriguing and revelatory uh, to be able to read some of these that I've known about forever, but really didn't know about at all. I mean, and, and I'm I'm really intrigued yeah. to see what Insomnia has in store, and yeah, like Rose Matter, the book cover is really weird. Um, I think you have that mm-hmm. on hardcover, right? Or yeah, I do. I have it right here. Hold on a second. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I remember that was one of the... It is strange. Because you got that at Ravenswood, I think. I think we got it at Ravenswood yeah, Bookstore. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I got a, the old Ravenswood Bookstore, yeah. I do love the back of the cover because it's... a it's So it, it's a um, something wrapped in, a, in, a, in, in like a brown packaging. This is how much I don't know about this book. I don't know what's supposed to be in here. But... Um, there's a little uh, cut-up picture of Stephen King on the back, as if Ooh. someone slipped it under the package. <laughs> love it! I love it. I, uh, I one wait. of these days yeah. we need to rank or like have an episode devoted strictly to his headshots in the back of the books. I think that would be. Oh, uh, I, I thought you were going to say <laughs> that we should rank the uh, the covers of every. <laughs> Ooh, that could be fun too. Uh, all the hard covers too. You know, I think I think we should do both. It would be like yeah. a. a, a Front and back. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, before we do that, though, I think we should probably clean up uh, shop and close the book uh, finally on Nightmares and Dreamscapes. And we're going to do this chronologically because we've got four stories, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, or four ad- adaptations, uh, if you will. Uh, and the first one uh, is actually this ran before the story was ever published in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Um this one dates back to uh, 1991 in Monsters. That's right. Uh, so The Moving Finger. And, you know, I love uh, horror anthology series. I, I think they're fun. I think they always give a, you know, it's it, they always give us a chance for something better, maybe something worse. But, the, you know, the fact that you can breeze through the sections and the stories and the parables uh, it's exciting, and it kind of reminds me of just growing up and being raised on like Are You Afraid of the Dark and uh, Tales from the Crypt. And I'm surprised that I I didn't know about Monsters. I mean, it aired from 1988 to 91. Um, it was yeah, it's a blind spot in my history as well. Right? It's weird. I, I did just, not know about this show. I yeah. have no fucking clue. And it's weird too because it's pretty much almost like a spinoff show of Tales from the Dark Side, um, because. And it makes sense because both Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters were produced by Richard P. Rubenstein. Um, now, uh-huh. Rubenstein has got a, a crazy deep history in horror because he, he cut his teeth, uh, no pun intended for another story uh, coming up. Uh, he worked with <laughs> Romero, George Romero. Um, so they, they worked on a number of stories uh, and movies together. Uh, and eventually he pivoted over 
to working with King because uh, of a movie called Creepshow, which is an anthology horror film that we've talked many times on this podcast. Um, so it makes sense that he would start Monsters and Tales from the Dark Side um, and work with King because, I mean, Creepshow is, talk about a bridge there for that. But um, Rubenstein, you're going to hear his name a lot on this episode, but he went on to work on uh, Pet Cemetery our favorite miniseries, Mac, uh, 1991's Golden Years. Um, oh, God. Uh, God, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about a headache. Um, 94's uh, miniseries, The Stan, uh, The Langoliers, Thinner, Night Flyer, which we're going to talk about soon. But um, his first, outside of the outside of Creepshow, um, he had done Moving Finger on here. You know, So he'd worked with monsters. He brought in... Um, King into Tales on the Dark Side because as we talked, I believe we talked about Word Process of the Gods, uh, the episode adaptation of it um, last year on Skeleton Crew, or two years ago on Skeleton Crew. Um, but the moving finger, final episode of Monsters. So King closes out this, uh, I guess, underrated, over. I don't know. I haven't seen the whole series. I don't really I know. know I, I'm, I'm very interested. Very <laughs> right? interested. Oh, now... I wasn't blown away by this finale, by this no. final episode of the show. <laughs> Not at all. But I do love the star of the show, oh, Tom Noonan. I know. He's our, uh, our, our, our protagonist in this, <laughs> in The Moving Finger. Uh, also, I wanted to note that Ken Myers directed this. Yeah. And he was a big makeup artist for like Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2 mm-hmm. and like I think he worked on like Lincoln and BFG. He did, uh, yeah. Even though you would, you would think there wasn't any makeup in BFG, but I know. Um, <laughs> also, also, Mike, did you notice who plays his wife? I did not notice. I, I she it rang is about, none I other, did. none other than Alice Platon. You probably didn't recognize her because she wasn't Hench. in the shadow of darkness. But it's Blix, the goblin henchman from Legend. Oh, I love Legend. That she is, also did, did the voice. Of uh, BB Bluff on Nickelodeon's Doug. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> She's comically funny. half the size of Tom Noonan, which made for some funny sequences. Oh, yeah. in, the, in the show. Well, he's. Um, but yeah, I was. I, I was really. I, I recognized the name, and as <laughs> so I looked it up, and I, I, I had just watched Legend. Uh, I was just like, whoa! I cannot believe this is the same person. You would never know. Um, no. But uh, they're they're a funny pair in this. Yeah. Well, did. I'm wondering now if Myers worked on Legend, if maybe he didn't a makeup assistant on Legend, and that's why mm. he brought her in. I know uh, Rob. I know Rob Botin did uh, did a lot of the makeup effects. Jesus God, I mean, that guy know, ever everybody sleep? does everything with that. I know, I know. He had such good luck. I can't <laughs> believe Christ. it. It's insane. Um, um, yeah, I just watched this behind the scenes on that. You know, hopefully someone will ask us to do a legend. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! Patreon. I love. Le- well, which legend night, do you but, prefer, um, though? Do you prefer the? Is it Golden Thaw or uh, Oh Golden, um, or Tangerine's Tangerine it Dream? Is, it's Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. I always get the two uh, mixed for up. me. So I. So without you know spoiling our our soon to be Patreon episode, <laughs> <laughs> I I really you know I grew up with the, with Tangerine Dream. And we're already going off in tangents. I know, it's fine. I grew up on Tangerine Dream. Listen to the Goldsmith score. And it's funny because the Goldsmith score sounds, when I heard it for the first time, it sounded like it had always been that. Yeah. And I think that's the mark of like a really good score. Totally. Uh, and now when I go back, I think if I could just have the Jerry Goldsmith score all the way through and then just throw that Tangerine Dream song in at the end. 
I'm that's good. a good medium. I don't need the Tangerine Dream score. I think it's a. It, I think it, as a background music for most of that movie, it's not very good. I think Goldsmith's score is superior. Yeah, and the director's cut superior. There's just a lot more in it. I feel like. But getting back to the movie, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I have I have a connected <laughs> tissue. So, uh, Legend. Oh, oh yeah. What? Tangerine Dream did Legend, but they also did Thief, directed by Michael Mann, and Michael Mann directed Tom Noonan in 1986's oh. Manhunter. So. By now, so Noonan having a <laughs> Noonan having a good run. He 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 just finished RoboCop two. Yeah, which he plays that brain. Film, <laughs> it, it, yeah, he does, does a TV film. Guests on monsters in the Moving Finger, and goes right into Last Action Hero. Wow. So he's not doing too bad right now. No, you know, I, I mean those are some iconic Noonan performances. Yeah, uh, yeah. and you know the thing with this. I felt like the story reads more like a horror story, the short story, mm-hmm. but the this this uh, this monsters episode feels like they played up the humor more. Oh, totally. And I think that's where you have to go with this story yeah. because I, I just unless you just had incredible special effects and just everything given to you. I mean, I, I don't know how you do the short story as a straight horror story without, without it coming off kind of you can't. silly. You can't. You can't. Know? I think you got to go the Raimi route, which is kind of where they go with this. You know, like it's certainly, oh, totally. it's got that sort of hokey tone. I mean, especially with the score, the score really adds and amps up. Oh man, the, the weird oboe music. Weird. And then all of a sudden there's like, like tribal so survival or like survivor music in the background at one point too. Like it's all <laughs> over the fucking place, but they definitely go with the tongue firmly planted in cheek with this. And I think that's smart. I just don't know as much as I love Tom Noonan. I think he does the physical elements of it right. But when there's like one-liners here and there, which are kind of sprinkled throughout this segment, they are a little off-putting because he's so soft-spoken that it's all, it's almost like like hearing like Brian Wilson like doing stage banner. And I know that's the second Brian Wilson <laughs> reference that we've had on this podcast uh, network for the last uh, of this week at least because uh, if you listen to Halloweenies, we – you go all in on Brian Wilson impersonations, but um, what do you think? I mean, because when he does the one-liner, like, and says it to the finger when he's like trying to bring it down, I think it's the toilet or the sink. I can't remember which which scene it is, but he does this like a couple one-liners here, and it just doesn't work for me. It, it's yeah, you know, Noonan's weird. <laughs> I mean, he's just weird. Mm-hmm. I love him. I mm-hmm. love him, but I do think that. If there's a, he's kind of to me he's kind of like Christopher Walken like if there's a if there's a way to read the line he's going to choose the the thing furthest from and somehow usually it works mm-hmm. uh I just think this is just a strange medium I think it's a weird you know 25 minute short I I do agree I think he does the physical stuff well I I I like when he's like you know walking down the hall with the the um the hedge clippers, you mm-hmm. know, the the head, you know, the automatic hedge clippers, and um, I do, I do like his 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 little tiny bit of dialogue at the end when he's talking to the cop. I do too. But yeah, some some of the some of the interplay in there, in, just throughout the beginning, is just a little awkward. He's a little bit, he's like too odd. I almost wanted someone more normal to experience this because then it would have seemed like, okay, am I going crazy? Is this really a finger in there? Like. With Noonan being the guy, it just kind of felt like, oh, yeah, this would totally happen to this guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like, like, he lives on the fringe. Uh, I, I can imagine Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine the call to get Noonan uh, was something like, you know, like Kenny Myers is like, God, I just, you know, I just saw 
you know, man's new film, uh, Manhunter. Great guy. Uh, the, the, the crazy guy uh, playing, um, you know, the, the, the tooth fairy now. We got to get that guy. Oh, oh, you mean Tom Noonan? Oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Let me give you his number. Calls up Noonan. Um, late at night, Noonan's watching television. Kind of similar uh, to his I'll, character. I'll be Noonan. I'll, I'll, I'll be Noonan. You'll be Noonan? Right hey, um, uh, Mr. Noonan, uh, first off, got to say, loved your work in, in Hi, Manhunter. It's really, nice to, it's really nice to meet you. Ooh, God. It's really nice to hear your voice. Y- you sound just like uh, you do on screen, Mr. Noonan. Um, uh, now, Tom, <laughs> uh, if, can, I, <laughs> can I call you Tom? Of course. Great, great. Um, I th- thought you were going to uh, be, uh, you know, rip out your uh, seat like you do in the movie. Um, w- w- are you familiar with Stephen King? I I've read some Stephen King as a child. Great. Well, guess what? You get to play <laughs> as, a child, as a child. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? <laughs> guys like already like pushing fifty in this. <laughs> how old is How old is Noonan in this? Uh, That's actually a good question. Because I, I I feel like Noonan <laughs> defies age. Um, you know, because he's he's like the same for oh, he's the same. Yeah. He could be in. I, I, I feel he was in like he was in like a episode of Louis. I know we're not supposed to talk about Louis C.K. anymore, but he was in an episode of Louis. I think the first season, and he literally looks exactly as he does um, in 2013 as he did in 1986. Like the guy hasn't aged. Um, so I'm well, you know, it's like they the only the only way to get Noonan in, in this was probably he probably thought he was playing the finger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, know? I'm sure. Like, I, uh, he's I like, like, I don't know. I thought I was the finger in this. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. <laughs> Try to guess how old he was in in uh, 1987. I'm going to I'm going to say he was like 28. He was well cl- oh you went down low, but he was he was 37. 37? 30? Yeah, 37 and 19. Mike, I am 37 I know. right now. <laughs> Noonan, how old is he now? Good he's, god. He's uh, 69. So he turned uh, 69 back in April. So had to celebrate during the Jeez. pandemic, but um, I'm I, I'm glad to hear that though, because that just means he's going to be around yeah. for a lot longer. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, <sighs> love him. Here's the thing, I I, I get that it's it's weird because the the person who wrote this, Haskell Barkin, um, who's his third script for the series. So I don't know if he was a regular on there, but I guess three up three three episodes for a show that really only lasted for a short time. I'd say he's a pretty much a regular for the series. But his pedigree, or his background is like Twilight Zone. Um, and he also did some Tales of the Dark Side, but he did a ton of cartoons like Scooby-Doo, The Flintstones, and Darkwing Duck, which is why I think uh, it gets a little more comedic and more cartoonish than the actual story um, on paper. But I would almost argue that like the majority of the stories in Nightmares and Dreamscapes tend to be cut from this type of cloth. Like They all are sort of more comedic and tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I mean, we're certainly going to be talking about one coming up soon, but yeah, like you, you could definitely pick any of those stories and kind of go that route with it. Yeah, and and probably successfully because some of them are just are downright silly. Yeah. Um, what do, I wanted to ask, what did you think of the the um, the finger I, the special effects? I thought they could have been better. I mean, especially being for a makeup person directing it, I, I kind of expected it to be a yeah. little more epic um now john dodds did the special effects and i i I didn't do a lot of research on dodds but uh i I will say i i I was kind of thrown off by their i like my the thing that scared me the most and maybe that's why they moved away from it in the story was that that was the knuckle factor how how it kept having like multiple multiple knuckles and they're just that that seemed creepy to me um 
but this was just it was just kind of like a, a really long sausage yeah. almost moved like a snake and that that's i mean you know i guess if you're going for like tentacle horror or something but that just didn't it, at one point it just didn't seem like a finger but like what the idea of just like this really long knuckle-ridden bending finger thing coming out and getting you that creeps me out. It does, but uh, th- but this this not so much, unfortunately. I agree, I, and, it, um, and it wasn't as gross out as it could have been either. Like I thought, like it was a little tame. Um, that's why I'm kind of interested to see what the rest of the series was like. Because I mean, whereas Tar- Tales of the Dark Side kind of always played on that after school special sort of vibe, and I'm wondering if this was. I mean, it's supposed to be, it said it was more geared towards horror. So I imagine it took on a darker element than Tales of the Dark Side, but it still felt very like this could have been, this could have been in like an Are You Afraid of the Dark or. Um, oh, absolutely. And I still would have, I totally would, I wouldn't even blink that like an eye out of it. But um, uh, speaking of Dodd, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Dodd Calm, um, the season two, episode 19 episode. <laughs> of the x-files <laughs> uh which is certainly a scarier entry um than what we get here uh for monsters i did have a question for you mac uh do you were were you able to watch creep show Cre- the, the the new creep show on shutter last year i did not uh i, I mean i watched i got a, I caught a couple of episodes because okay. i saw the werewolf one so yeah um, the werewolf one i think is probably yeah. the best uh out of the the whole batch there because i feel like yeah i thought yeah, I, one, of, one of the things I will say about this that I can't say about another um, anthology uh, section that we're going to be talking about soon is that, man, I, the, the late 80s, early 90s, even the weakest entries are still better than the majority of the anthological horror stuff today. Like, I just think that there's a tone and a, a precision and a, and a terseness to this particular chapter that speaks to the directors and the writers as a whole of this era. I, I don't know. They just, as much as I didn't really love this, I still appreciated like that it knew what it was and it successfully did what it was supposed to do, which is just a slice of like horror, whether it was funny or whether it was quirky or weird, whatever it, it fit, it fit the element or in the medium of what it is at the time. Um, and like it, it, it kind of felt like a goofy late night Halloween special and which is what most of anthological horror of this time did the best um and i don't know why people struggle these days and even in the late 90s it's like almost like a gift or like a a, a, a trade uh, you know trick of the trade that you know filmmakers just forgot how to do um it's really weird because i feel like part of me also wonders are we romanticizing these these anthologies of horror like were they very popular back then did people like them did kids like them or you know are we just were we so susceptible to the, to its charms or its scares, or even you know, as cheap as they might have been, whether it was TV? I mean, Tales from the Dark Side, that opening theme oh, yeah. scared the hell out of me as a kid. I, yep. I didn't even have to watch the show. I'd just hear that theme and yeah. I'd have nightmares. Yeah. I mean, are we romanticizing these things? Are is like the the anthology horror of today, like VHS or whatever, whatever, whatever it might be? Will that be romanticized in the future? Just as you know, just as as we are with these old shows, I don't know because I, don't know I, I do think that there there's definitely some great some levels of um, of good. I, I I think that there are some anthologies that are really good from the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, like I do love Creep Show, but then you do have like you know, <laughs> Creep Show too. Or I know, know like I, I mean, there are there are levels to it. You know, um, oh God, there was another anthology I was trying to think of. Well, Tales from the Crypt was back in the, the day. Was amazing, not good. you know. And but but, oh, but I love Tales from the Crypt. 
which is like you know we've seen so many like imitators of the years from that that just flop like they can't do it i don't know what it is and i and i try to attribute it to the fact that like we've talked a lot about this on halloweenies and i think certainly on the creep show episode last year when we reviewed it um i i feel like a lot of the filmmakers today they're cut on episodic television but doing episodic television is not the same as knowing how to create short stories and film those short stories now like you know people like carpenter you know um Romero, uh, Stuart Gordon, uh, you know, Craven, mm-hmm. all of them cut their teeth on serials uh, and, and short form narratives. And they grew up on that. And I think having that sort of upbringing of like the EC comics and the short stories, the Twilight Zone, there was something about that generation that knew exactly what the strengths were to that medium. And they knew how to get it. And I feel like around the turn of the century when they started kind of retiring or finding other mediums or maybe just focusing strictly on feature films, even if they were just straight to video, they left this area. They, they left it to the younger filmmakers that kind of maybe cut their teeth on what they did and weren't so much uh, going back to the original source material that kind of, you know, when it was at its prime. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's, mm-hmm. I, maybe it's a generational thing I, because like, certainly I think this is more successful as, as critical as I am of this. I think this is more successful than like the majority of the creep show elements or the creep show segments last year. Um, you know, no, I mean, like you said, I think they, they knew the kind of medium and, 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 you know, these are, these are all people that probably grew up with like, you know, the crypt creep, the crypt, not, um, <sighs> Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper. The Crypt Keeper. Uh, you know, the Tales, the, the, the Tales from the Crypt comic books, you know, like mm-hmm. the vaults and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and and I, I just feel like, you know, when you are – technology is also just kind of rampant these days. You yeah. know, I feel like if, if you have uh, not a lot of – if you don't have the ability to really film something – perfectly you have to get really creative so i feel like there are filmmakers back in the day that really had to get creative uh and and that's where they you know that's where they they shined where they they did these small projects you know yeah um but now it's just kind of like anybody with a you know a t6i camera can just film like an hd looking you know yeah. The quality is crazy on some of these cameras these days and stuff, you know, like just any amateur can could probably make a 30 minute movie and, and, and have it at least look good. Oh, yeah. But they have. Um, I mean, we've seen it all the time, especially yeah. even during the pandemic with like some of the movies that have come out and stuff. Um, but I think horror is one of, you know, next to comedy, I think horror is the next level down in terms of being just extremely hard to capture yeah. on any kind of medium. I agree. Uh, so... Well, what do you yeah, rate this? Finger. If you had to give this, mm. I mean, let's do noses. Let's keep it simple. Um, if okay. you had one to five bright red Pennywise clown noses, what would you give the moving finger? I would give the moving finger two bright red Pennywise clown noses. Yeah, I think I'm because I I do lo- I I love Noonan. I love the cast. It's silly. It's short. It knows what it is. Uh, they take a chance with changing the ending slightly where we do see what's in the toilet mm-hmm. and it's the hand. I didn't love that reveal, but I was like, okay, you, for the most part, it sticks to the, to the script. And then it, you know, 
I did like changing it up there at the end, you know. Yeah. But however, like you said, <laughs> the freaking short story had not even been published yet, so it wasn't like it was going to surprise anybody. Yeah, it was like um, I think it was just but, in, uh, in. It might have been in a serial beforehand. I actually let me look up that real quick. I think it was in. Yeah, so it yeah, was published in ma- the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. So that was the first release. But the fact that I mean, look, if unless you got that magazine, you're not going to know what that is. So it it wasn't until especially back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until '93 that it, it was officially canon with the uh, Nightmares and Dreamscape. So you know, I think two is fine. I think that's fair. I I give this two. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, <laughs> are you giving it two as well? I am going to go with the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I will yeah, say yeah. I I did pull uh, all our rankings because uh, we. Uh, consequence sound a couple years ago and we update this concurrently um we did a whole ranking of every adaptation for stephen king uh, stories and that includes like uh it doesn't include dollar babies because that's just out of hand and there's too many out there um but uh we did do all the feature films and the television shorts and whatnot and this was on there um and randall colburn where, did, uh, where wrote was it, it? Yeah. It was number sixty nine on the CEO on the on the on the ranking. So Ooh, kinky. Um, <laughs> yeah, Randall Randall wrote a pretty much said a lot of the things that we said. Um, he actually uh, also called it a Looney Tunes score, which I didn't even see that. That's funny. Um, he said uh, <laughs> this is pretty good. Uh, he said, "Sure, the tone is jaunty, but without an adequate peek into the mind of Noonan's character, it's impossible to grasp the stakes or underlying horror of the actual situation." One watch. And you'll be happy to flush this from your mind. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll probably never watch it again. <laughs> oh yeah, no, me either. I think I think I'm good at this point. I mean, I love Noonan, but I'll watch Noonan and Manhunter uh, before I go back to this. Or Anomalisa. <laughs> yeah, there's like 50 other things I'd rather watch them in. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to a feature film because uh, if you'll notice is uh, with our sequencing here with chronologically, it actually works up really well because we're going to go from a short to a feature film, a short to a feature film. So the ne- the first feature film that we're going to be discussing is, <laughs> uh, buckle up, 1997's The Night Flyer. Uh, I, okay, so <laughs> with The Night Flyer, I've heard about this movie forever. <laughs> um, came out in November. Wait, no, you s- hadn't seen it? No, I had not seen it. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead. I've got so some. So what's interesting, here. this is an interesting story because – it was released November 7th, 1997 on HBO, and then it was released theatrically on February 6th, 1998. Um, this is, it's very interesting looking at the behind the scenes of this because it explains a lot, I feel. Um, it was director Mark Pavia's debut uh, and writer Jack O'Donnelly's only screenplay to date. Um, and according to Wikipedia, mm. Pavia had actually written a sequel script with King in mind uh, with King in the mid 2000s called Fear of Flying. So he clearly was connected with King. Um, and he was connected with King because this was produced by the great Rubenstein, who we just talked about with, uh, with Monsters. Oh. So clearly, you know, in the, in the business of King, um, in the connective tissue makes sense. But this was also co produced with Mitchell uh, Galen, who also worked alongside Rubenstein. They did, you know, The Stand, Pet Cemetery, Langoliers, uh, Golden Ears, Creep Show. Um, and Tales for the Dark Side. So it's got that connection there. Um, and honestly, it, I feel like tonally it, it feels in line with all those, you know, right there, especially like 90s King. Um, you'd seen this before, and you know, going into this episode? Yeah, so I, I saw this ages ago when I was really little. And then I watched it 
for the adaptations piece that you just spoke about yep. that we did. Yep, I got your thoughts. And I didn't give it, I don't remember giving it a very fa- favorable review. And I also talked some trash about it on our Nightmares <laughs> and Dreamscapes episode. It, I didn't have the story itself very high. I think it was very middling for I me. didn't either, yeah. And, but you know what? Damn it, watching it this time, I actually really enjoyed it, you know? There's parts of it that I didn't love. Uh, I didn't like the padding of adding, you know, the other uh, reporter and just all the kind of report, the... uh, the business dynamics in the in, at the newspaper, I, and that stuff just bores the hell out of me. Oh, I but, know. but Miguel Ferrer giving his all, intense as hell. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I I felt like he, you don't like this guy at all from the beginning. No, I mean, he's such a fucking asshole. <laughs> no, <laughs> like I really, I think that was kind of the thing that put me off initially too. Was just like. You don't like this protagonist at all, but you're really not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I think that this time around, I kind of appreciated because it's almost like the Breaking Bad thing where you're just like, oh, I want to see this guy fall. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens to this guy now, you know. So then I slowly got got invested over the course of the of the film. Um, you know, it does feel like an HBO movie. It doesn't feel like a theatrical has, film yeah. per se, but like there are things that that worked for me. Um, oh, I you know there was some some Kings of Dominion in here. Can I? Oh yeah. That? Well, there's um, Dairy Maine, right? They mentioned Dairy Maine. Somebody mentioned. They Dairy mentioned Maine. Fly, Yeah, they mentioned flying in and out of Dairy. Uh, they obviously uh, Miguel Ferrer played mm-hmm. Lloyd Henry in The Stand. Which is probably how they got and him for this, to be honest with you. Like, they're probably like, yeah. hey, we really oh, loved yeah. you in, as Lloyd. Sorry we couldn't get you uh, in the latter half of the, the, the movie as much as we should have, um, considering that you're one of the best characters in that movie. Um, why don't you go in the Night Flyer? <laughs> and he's, no, and seriously, I, that's great. I mean, I, I love when you have actors popping up, like, in multiple King stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, do you know, this, this is, isn't the only the, I, thing. I was, this isn't the only King thing he did that year either, which is fucking crazy. I never knew this. Um, he voiced, wait, what else did he, he, do that vo- he, he voiced a character named Mark James Torrance in Mick Garris's miniseries for the shining. I don't know who the hell that is. I imagine that's gotta be Jack Torrance's father. Maybe. I don't know. It seems. Oh, maybe it's some weird flashback stuff or something. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I think I know what it is. I think he hears him on the ham radio talking to him when he's like having a delusion at one point. And is, I remember thinking yeah. that when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's, it's Miguel Ferrer's voice, you know? But like, yeah, that's that's interesting that he did both of those yeah. this year. And uh, another King's Dominion, he he mentions a kindergarten setting fire to her students because she thinks they're plotting their execution, which is kind of very similar to uh, a story in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, uh, and I'm blanking on the name. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Suffer the Little Children. Yes. Where the teacher thinks okay. the children are monsters and ends up trying to kill them. Uh, so I kind of like that little nod. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then also the um, the newspaper that he works for shows up, pops up, and you know we talked about that in the story in the book. Well, because Richard Dees. Many, many is, other stories. Yeah. Well, Dees is originally in The Dead Zone, which is like, I think that's his first yeah, appearance yeah. in there. Um, and yeah. he kind of he, he almost messes with my boy Johnny Smith, um, who I love to death. But, uh, <laughs> I um, but I mean, I guess uh, it, it's weird because 
Um, what's so great about this movie is, is, is literally like how much of a performance piece it really is for Miguel Ferrer, because as much as, you know, it's, he's an investigative reporter. He feels so alone in this movie. Like I never really like, you know, he runs into, you know, people here and there and he goes into bars and goes into this and and it goes into cemeteries. But I really feel like at least 75% of this movie is just literally Miguel Ferrer on screen. (laughs) Like that's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's his, it's his, it's his, uh, you know, he's, he's, it's his vehicle. Yeah. (laughs) And he's so like, there's a weird sexual sleaze to Ferrer in this. Like he's like, he's mildly attractive to how, um, not selfish, but confident. There's like a confidence to him. That's really striking. Um, and it's it's diametrically opposed to like exactly how he was in the stand where he has to be more of like a servant um and i i kind of like well, this from him weird yeah he's you know? got this weird arrogance that that you know if you were not smart enough you'd think was you know <laughs> a confidence you know like i i i feel like he does kind of like command the screen yeah uh, anybody he talks to, he just treats like absolute garbage. Yes. He, he, he's so above it. You think he, it feels like he really knows this place, but that I think is why when he's finally in the airport at the end mm-hmm. and starts to kind of lose it, starts to kind of freak out when he sees the bodies and stuff and it, or he takes the, that he's, I think he takes one picture too many and then he just yeah. kind of starts shaking. Yeah. I really love that because you finally see like he's just a fucking fake. Yeah. And he's convinced himself so much that, you know, it, it, I, I just I, I thought that that payoff of that was really good for me this time watching oh, it. Oh, me too. Um and I just thought there was some genuine scares uh, and scary stuff in this. Like when I think that dream sequence that he has is pretty effective. Mm-hmm. When when uh, uh, when he thinks he sees uh, the night flyer standing at the window. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he wakes up and he goes to the window and he opens the curtains and says, it's "Stay away in blood." I, I, I thought that. that was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, the the women the woman walking to D saying so cold Richard so cold like I was like this is actually pretty freaky yeah Um, it's got that weird sort of um, cold 90s uh, uh, isolated horror like like the way it kind of like before Scream really took off like we talked about this a little bit um, oh god what episode did we just talk talk about this maybe in Jason Lives but um, oh no, it was for the Rage Carry too. Uh, when we we were talking about it on um, on Patreon last week. Oh, that classic app. Yeah, that classic <laughs> app. Uh, but I, what I what I stressed on that was that in the early '90s, like horror was merciless. It was like cold. It was unforgiving to its protagonists, and the world yeah. was kind of like this. Like it was a a dirty. Um, chilly place where you know everyone was kind of just like you're kind of really on your own and i got that sense with this like i got the sense that like he really was just like he was left to his own devices um even though he was you know he was literally paired with a new uh you know the new reporter and whatnot i felt like everyone oh, was just Catherine, so was, jimmy blair yeah right <laughs> um, yeah i didn't i didn't love that addition but i i did like the even you know the, here's another ending that's changed yeah um, I, I know that they wrote a sequel. I wonder if any characters from the from the original are in it. Uh, probably not, because uh, if it's a sequel to the um, to the film, uh, you know, obviously Tease gets got. But yeah, um, yep. 
which yeah, I like. I, I actually kind of like interested that. to see it, because if you I were, do too. I know I do too because I love that they blame him. I just love that they blame him for it because what, what for me when I was looking at that at the end and they show like you know the cover of the magazine mm-hmm. and it says uh, or, or, or you hear Catherine saying you know oh his name is Richard Dees you know we call him the Night Flyer. It to me it was kind of like. I started thinking, how many times have these reporters done that, or how many times has D's done this? I know where yeah. he's created the narrative and didn't, because early on he says, you know, don't, don't report what you believe. Uh, yeah, don't publish what you believe, um, yep, and don't right. report on what you believe. Yeah, like which is such a cool. cool and I like that because yeah. I was like, oh, like maybe maybe there's other things that he's seen. Um, but then you think, well, he's so uh, he's so dismissive of the idea of this being an actual vampire at the beginning that you're like, oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that would have been a cool a, a cool addition is that you know like the, this story, this this magazine because they do pop up in King a lot that they've published these things, but they never really publish the truth because the mm-hmm. truth is almost too too frightening. So they make it, you know, John Dee's or Richard Dee's in this case. Yeah. Which is which would be cool if they did. Let's say they did actually get this the sequel out. I imagine that affords them the luxury of really kind of being able to do like they could probably have done Popsy. You know, like they probably could have opened up the movie with the events of Popsy, which hey take place at Monroeville Mall. Um, and uh, or no, oh. not at Monroeville Mall. They take place at another <laughs> Pittsburgh mall. I forgot. Um, I kept thinking yeah, yeah. it was at Monroeville Mall, and I got excited because I was like, "Wow, another uh, uh, another reference to uh, my new namesake that's outside of If It Bleeds." Um, but um, <laughs> anyway, it was called Fear of Flying, which is the title they had, which is kind of a shitty title. But um, I, it was going to center around uh, uh, Julie Entwistle's uh, Catherine Blair, and I will say. Uh, Julie Entwistle probably would have appreciated that considering that 1997, which is the year this came out, was pretty much the only year that she actually really had uh, much of a say in Hollywood because she did this and in and out and that was it. So she probably would have died. To, she would have been totally stoked to be in Fear of Flying. Um, and oh, That's interesting that they were going to continue with her. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like a direct sequel. That's very interesting. Well, I mean, hey, the Nightflyer is still out there, you know? Um, he's, he's Well, maybe she said, you know what? I, I, I got to do in and out. <laughs> Maybe she maybe she knew that In and Out was going to be the big hit that it was, you know. She's yeah. like, I gotta, I'm, I'm brushing shoulders with Tom Selleck and Kevin Klein. I've got to do In and Out. Tom Selleck is so great in that movie too. It's just hilarious. What happened to him? <laughs> I feel like he just like got lost in television and maybe conservatism. Hey, but, um, you know, he's doing Blue Bloods, yo. Oh yeah, Blue he's Bloods. On Blue Bloods and uh, great, great <laughs> timely so show for right now. Um, God. Um, what if that like? What if that just came out like this year? I know. Oh lord! Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's been on for a while, but like that. What what timing? CBS um, All Access presents Blue Bloods oh, um, coming I soon. Thought, what, what other? Let's say okay. Now that we're on Selleck, even though he has nothing to do with this, <laughs> hey, what the, what the, character would you like to see Selleck play? Is you know, there a character you could, if you could insert him into another King property, just off the top of your head? Oof. You know, I think he probably would have been great as uh, in misery as Paul Sheldon, like as as like really? him. You know, you know I, I love Khan. I love Khan. Look, Khan's one of my favorite actors. If we want to talk about Michael Mann, he's in my favorite Michael Mann movie, Thief. But I would have just loved him to be. Like, what What are you doing with the the damn typewriter? Can you, can you get my my legs are broken? <laughs> I I need some soup. What, what, what are you, you going to go back to this town or what? Like I'm talking just 
You're not making it's misery in 1990. <laughs> it's, I'm talking Tom Selleck. It's like canned laughter. Yes, exactly. Like it's it's exactly like uh, I'm talking three men and a baby. Uh, Tom Selleck. Are you kidding me? I can't write like this. It's just it's just Annie Wilkes with the with the, the sledgehammer, yeah. and he's like, "I'll give you a thousand dollars if you don't do it." <laughs> and he like looks over to the camera. Um, Ted Danson walks in. He's like, "Hey, you uh, you, you we going skiing or what?" You think I could go skiing with this? I broke my leg. What are you, nuts? Um, and Gutenberg is his uh, agent. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. I, you know, I, I don't know where he went. I got lunch at 12, and I don't know where my hot, uh, my hot, my hot rider is. Um, I just love this, that oh, we're probably God. the only people in the world that has ever combined <laughs> the worlds of three men and a baby and misery <laughs> in the context well, of talking about know. Night Flyer. <laughs> That's what you get here at the Losers Club. Uh, these, these really poignant just, takes that no one else is coming no up with. <laughs> here, here's to go back to the Night Flyer though, um, because yes. actually, if we, we were going to give some give a role to Tom Selleck in the Night Flyer, I give him the Night Flyer himself. I think he'd be pretty good at it. But I think Michael H. Oh, Moss yeah, does yeah. a good job with it too. I mean, this is a character that I'm like I'm with you, Mac. Like we did our top ten best of of short stories for uh, I believe it was Patreon, and because Caffrey was the only episode, it, Night Flyer made it on there. It's the only Nightmares and Dreamscapes <laughs> story, and he just loves monsters. And Jen liked Night Flyer also, to be all, to be fair, not to leave you know single out Caffrey. But I just thought this story was so mediocre. And one of the reasons why I had a problem with it was two reasons. One, never bought in a million years that D's could fly on his own. It just seems weird to me. Like, oh, you have your own pilot, really? pilot's license? It just seems too Indiana Jones for me. Um it, it felt well, like maybe Selleck should have been D's. I know he should have been <laughs> <laughs> finally stepping in the shoes of Indy. Oh God. He's like, I hate snakes. And it's like, well, th- that's not a line <laughs> from this. Um, but uh, I still got my, I still got that Larry Kasdan script in my, my pants. But um, he, I, but the second thing is that the night flyer is just written so dumb to me. Like why is, why, why just make him a pilot as a vampire? If that's the case, like wh- I, I like the idea of having the dirt with the worms. That's fine. But the cape is so ludicrous to me. And then when you see it on screen here, it seems so stupid. Like, they could have just had him as, like, I don't know, like Thomas Hayden Church from Wings with, like, fucking vampire teeth. That's That that would be more realistic to me than well, what we get here. But I, but having said that, I think uh, Moss does a good job with it. When he actually talks, it's, it's really convincing to me. Um, I think that... No, no, I like his performance in the in the film. I, I I think that that was also something that just came off silly to me was the the cape. And I think reading it, it 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 felt awkward and and almost strange and and scary in that way because I it felt off putting. It felt like it shouldn't be there. But watching it, I didn't love it. I kind of wanted it to look more like a trench coat. Yeah, exactly. That, that, would that been so upon much closer examination, or if you get closer, you know, you you start to realize, oh no, it's like a cloak, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you know, one of those like rain dusters, like those cowboy dusters, you know what I mean? Um, but you know what? I, you know what? I'm not Stephen King. I didn't I didn't write this thing, so I, I can't. Uh, <laughs> they really did kind of go literal with it, though. Like they could have. I mean, I don't know. It, it, I guess I'm expecting I, a lot from like, Pavia or whatever or Pavia. <laughs> Yeah, I do like that bit though in Popsy. I mean, that you oh that yeah, me too. Mentioned the cape, and that's how you yeah. know. And that, so it's kind of like uh, I think I think it all depends on how you direct it, 
Uh, and I think for this, it just didn't like, I like the way I would like the way he looks at the end of the, of the night flyer, but I don't love it when, you know, like the old man on the airfield sees him getting off the plane and walking in. Mm-hmm. It's like people, people seem to not remember him or and maybe that's just like his charm or you know, his vampire charm. That's just like, people just have a hard time remembering things around him. But you're like, you definitely would remember this asshole yeah, <laughs> walking no, in here. No this giant fucking cape with the red innards. Like, yeah. come on. I mean, you're <laughs> you sitting know? there at the airport. You're like, God, when is my flight to Binghamton going to come through? And you're just sitting there reading your newspaper. <laughs> and you look over and there's a guy in like a fucking, you know, vampire costume. And it's like March. It's not Halloween. Like, it, it seems ludicrous to me. Like, if he's, But if he's in a trench coat, I don't think anything of it. Even if he has that weird ass fucking face with the huge gaping mouth and he looks like one of the vampires at the end of Dust Till Dawn, I'm not going to look as much. I, I'm not going to be as suspicious. I'll just say, well, he was before he was born different than all of us. That's fine. I'm going to let it go. But if he's in that cape, I'm 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 suspicious. I'm going to TSA. I'm like, there's somebody going. There's something going on with that guy. <laughs> yeah, TSA back. Yeah, in the '90s too. Yeah, I'm sure they would really helped you out there. What else did you? Uh, here's, here's one thing I did like, and, I, and you're a musician. I thought the score was really good. I thought the piano part was awesome. I thought it was gothic. I thought it had it kind of fit the tone a little bit. Very 90s rental. Um, and I looked it up, and this guy might be the most talented person involved in this movie. Um, Whoa. Yeah. He was what did this guy do? The score is by Brian Kane. Uh, multi-Emmy and Grammy award-winning American composer, music producer, and guitarist. He is among the over 400 films that he has scored. Unreal. Um, More than Ennio Morricone. How can you you believe that? He's he's done a lot of documentaries, (laughs) a lot of TV stuff. Um, But he did... Okay. He has well over 100, 100 of those are award-winning, which include 18 Emmy winners for Best Documentary or Series, along with 67 nominations, nine Peabody Award-winning films, six Oscar-nominated films, and one Academy Award-winning film. He's won four Emmy Awards for his music among 20 nominations. So I felt very confident after reading that and saying that I like the score. <laughs> And the, which is funny because I don't remember it at all. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember the score. I didn't even write it down. Wow. But that does, that's not to say it was bad. I just, I was obviously very m- much more focused on what really giving this a shot because I felt like the first two watches of this thing, I had a bad taste in my mouth and I really wanted, and everybody just seemed to really talk favorably of this uh, especially Dan and yeah. I was like you know what I really want to give this a good shot I still don't like the the pissing blood still don't love the pissing blood sequence no. <laughs> I can't believe they put that in the yeah. film as well but you know what sue me I know well uh, Mike what, what do you what do you give this <laughs> I'd give this hmm, let's think I, you know I'd give it three three bright red Pennywise clown noses if I was running this with you know the gamut of Stephen King films that were coming out in the 90s like say other Rubenstein uh pictures like thinner this is a fun double feature I would have had a great Friday night um and that's fine for me you know I I do think it's ironic and a little weird that the film seems to be wagging its finger (laughs) on sensationalism and the hunger for horror by the mass media when that's literally the conceit of why they made this movie. (laughs) So that seems a little uh, hypocritical, but 
having said yeah three three for me what about you uh yeah no i think that's a good i think i'd give it three bright red pennywise clown noses i i i, re- I enjoyed this a lot more on this this watch uh, you know, my love to Miguel Ferrer, the, the late great Miguel Ferrer, uh, really solid performance in this. Um, I really liked the change at the end, and um, I, you know what, I remember as well, blockbuster. I remember the yes. the, the VHS of this blatantly yep. showed what the night five more so than you actually see in the actual oh, show in, in the actual movie they blatantly show what it looks like and it looks so stupid sitting there on the top on the front of that vhs cover i had like no interest in watching this and no. then the fact that they keep it such a secret and he's in the shadows for the entire thing i was like what a dumb decision bad, bad blatantly form. show the big reveal on the front, I mean, it's the only thing on the cover except maybe the plane, you know? I think there's like the a lightning maybe. And then, and then the, the title looks yeah. like like something that would be Ugh. on the top of like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a roadside uh, antique store. Like the Night Flyer. It's like... It, <laughs> you know what? I, this is what I would have done for the VHS cover, okay? Yeah. It's like a startled look. It's like an eye. It's a startled look of, uh, of Miguel Ferrer's face. Ooh, like taking like over that. most of the cover, yeah. and and he's got the camera lens in front of his mouth, like he's just bringing it down. And in mm-hmm. the lens, you kind of see the night flyer standing there, but you can't like see what his fucking face looks like. I know you should have. They should have done that. <laughs> you know that. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, let me go back in time, and I'll I'll, I'll uh, make all <laughs> make the big the big bucks. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> you should go back. What the VHS cover <laughs> should look like. <laughs> Well, in 1997. Well, if you only worked at New Line Cinema, which, ironically enough, mm. they would go on to produce the highest-grossing horror movie and Stephen King adaptation of all time with it. So who knew? Um, here's what you wrote. Uh, you actually gave this. This is actually sits at number 36 on our Stephen King adaptation, surprisingly which, enough. Which surprised the hell out of me because yeah. I got to say, <laughs> I did not think I remember writing a very good piece about this. And I, and I think in my personal rankings, it was very low when well, I, 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 I want to say it's Ferrer. I wrote that. I think there's there's a two things that might have done this. One, you love Fer- Ferrer and he had just died. We had literally published this like maybe months I guarantee. After. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you said. But you know what? That's good. Yeah. I mean, your write-up is great. Because upon I mean, rewatch, he was the best part. Yeah. Easily the best part. And you say that he gives it his all. Uh, you said, as for the, I love this. As for the Night Flyer itself, I want to see if you agree with this still. The creature winds up looking <laughs> like a mix between a mutated dog <laughs> and Meatloaf from the I Do Anything for Love video. I still agree with that. But I do like the actor's performance as the Night Flyer yeah. in yeah. every sequence where you can't see him. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, well, hey, maybe the Night Flyer is still flying out there and that will one day get a sequel. Um, and uh we'll we'll uh we'll be there opening night but um let's move on i have a toothache and i got a little chattery teeth because we're talking about 1997's quicksilver highway a dubious title for a dubious adaptation if i could say it uh but uh we know this man as the the director the man behind the scenes we've talked about his movies already today uh mick garris man of the hour um and he tells multiple stories in this one uh, two of them uh, Clive Barker's The Body politi- uh, Politic and Stephen King's Chattery Teeth. Now, for me, if I'm a producer in Hollywood, and I certainly wasn't a producer for this one, uh, I'd probably say, hey, uh, Mick, um, there are countless other Stephen King stories that we could use that don't involve um, uh, clown uh, toys. 
what, let's let's choose a different one. What what what, what else you got? But hey, Mick Harris is a huge Stephen King fan, so he had to have been, you know, he must have been just adamant on on uh, adapting this. So you know, my guess is as as good as uh, anyone else's. But um, <laughs> a lot of talent in this, uh, a lot of money, four million dollars yeah. for what is essentially a TV movie. Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo did the music, even though the score, yeah, at least for this yeah. segment, sounds like WG Stuffy Walden score for The Stand. It's as if I, I literally I have the same thing here. I said Mark <laughs> Mosby of Devo did the soundtrack, though it really sounds like he's doing outtakes from Snuffy Walden's The Stand. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, it, and, it, and it's like it does, I couldn't believe yeah. that. Like literally, holy shit! Like a year later, he goes and works on like with you know uh, Wes Anderson on, on Rushmore. I, I wanted let me double check. Yeah, I, I'm not because I know he does the music for. Um, Maybe he didn't do Rushmore. Let me look real quick. No, he did. No, no, he did. I'm pretty sure yeah. he did. Yeah, it's, and uh, that's a great score. But it's, yeah, it's, he does. You know, it's I will say the, the score here in Chattery Teeth is really good. I yeah. just thought it was Snuffy Walton. I, I really did. It does really sound like the Stan soundtrack. That's why I looked it up immediately when when, when I heard it because I thought, oh, this has to be Walton, like like variations, or maybe that's why he got him on there. Uh, we already knew it was Mick Garris directing, so I was like, okay, well, this makes sense. But the fact that it's not, he probably was like, hey, Mark, uh, can you just do like a rip of Walton Stand music? Yeah. Um, but but this, uh, you know, you got a lot of people, uh, Veronica Cartwright. I know. Hey, she's in our alien, two of our alien and also uh, the X-Files. I mentioned it before and I mentioned it for a reason because she is, uh, hey, she's, she's uh, a huge part of the X-Files. Uh, very sad, tragic art uh, in the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and there's also another co-star in this uh, from the X-Files, Silius Weir Mitchell. Uh, he was in the X-Files, but I know him as the asshole kidnapper from uh, one of their earlier seasons of 24. Um, uh, he's the hitchhiker in this? Yes. Yeah, so... Yes, the um, hitchhiker. Yeah. Who I felt like was... <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. I thought the hitchhiker needed to be a lot younger. Yeah. I didn't did. like the change where you had the... It was a dumb addition. I feel like he almost runs him over in the beginning. And I, just, I was like, you don't need that. You didn't need that, no. you know? I, I like the idea of uh, of him just, like, just picking him up and just, uh, you know, having had this bad experience and then it just happens again. Um I thought it was also interesting, was which I wish we could also have covered though. But the Clive Barker's body politic stars Matt Frewer. I know who's a trash There's, can man. Uh, so that was kind of fun. And uh, you know, again, obviously it's Mick Garris directing, so you know he's he's pulling in his friends, I'm sure. Um, but the actor, did you recognize so, the actor? Yeah, I was going to ask who you played about Scooter. This. I did not. I didn't know Scooter. No, who who played Scooter? Okay, so Scooter. Uh, you know, is the the older guy in the shop with mm-hmm. Myra is Elmo Batch from Shawshank. He's the guy oh, that's actually responsible wow. for Andy's wife's death. Wow, so I that was some fun King's Dominion there. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. And but but I think the another thing I didn't like about the Hitchhiker though to jump back pivot back to the Hitchhiker, he just looked so dangerous from the get go. Yeah. Yeah, and you for know, someone that's like, I don't want it. Like super unassuming, you know. Well, he had a past, like you know, Bill has a past of you know being scared of the hitchhiker. So why would you pick up this guy? Like, I wouldn't even like look at this guy, you know. I know <laughs> it, it. It was just I, I. I just didn't like that. I was like, this guy already looked. It's like if it's like picking up fucking Jack Nicholson. 
he already looks evil. Like why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. There's no there's no turn there's no turn here. You you totally believe when he turns yeah. on him. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, because like even when he appears in 24, I do. Lo- I actually wrote that too. I literally wrote. God, we had the same notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, to go back to Silius for a second, like when he's in 24, <laughs> um, he's supposed to be like kind of like clandestine. Like you know, you're supposed to be shocked. Um, actually, no, you're not supposed to be shocked with him. You, the 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 two people that take Kim and the mother to him. Uh, so he's actually one that receives Kim and the mother, I believe. But either way. I believe you're supposed to sympathize with him and I believe Kim tries to seduce him to try to get out of it or the mother does maybe. Um, and I just remember thinking like, this guy looks like such a fucking toxic piece of shit. Like even without even seeing him talk. And so, yeah, you're, I mean, there's no way in hell I would ever invite him to my, uh, in my car, even if I did have a murderous uh, pair of teeth with me. But um, yeah. do you, mean, you know, having said all of that though, he, He's a fun character actor. Yeah. I, I I do you know he's very recognizable, mm-hmm. and I was like I was like oh this is gonna be like an, a fun watch because you know I recognize most of the cast in this you know yeah but uh, yeah yeah just do you, didn't uh, didn't do it for me. You are a Star Wars fan through and through. Um, you are you know the ways of the yeah. Jedi. You know the ways of the smuggler. Um, do you recognize <laughs> Raphael Sabarge, uh, who plays the main character in this? You're telling me he's he's in a Star Wars film? Well, it's it's this is a stretch, but um, he's the voice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was really thinking, oh, he's the voice of. Yes, yeah, so you wouldn't really recognize him per se, but he is the voice of Karth Onassi from Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. I never got to play that game, but my brother said that's the best Star Wars game of <laughs> oh, all time. I think I remember. Yeah, no, I remember reading that too when I was going through his. Uh, his profile, but I no, I I, I, I don't remember from that. No, he he also plays um, RC twelve sixty two quote unquote Scorch in Star Wars Republic Commando, which I have never heard of Republic Commando, but I guess it's from two thousand five. I totally miss some Star Wars games. Um, you know, for being the main character, I'm kind of surprised that he's such a bit actor. I mean, he literally has like cameos in pretty much every movie um, and piece of of acting from the beginning of his career to the end, which means that he really was like, this is his big role in a way. Um, yeah, which is strange. I, I definitely recognized him. Again, it was like one of those guys that are like, oh, it's that guy, you know? Yeah. Like he, he had done a ton of things. But yeah, nothing I guess nothing he's crazy. His, his main role is in The Guardian. I never watched that show. But, you know, there you yeah, go. Yeah, no, I didn't mean either. But, you know, he's fine. I... I I just I felt like Mick Garris definitely captures the feel of the 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 sandstorm. Mm-hmm. I think it's exactly how I pictured it in my head. Not necessarily the shop. I felt like the shop was more uh, claustrophobic yeah. and and just kind of like everything thrown in there. But uh, you know you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, but uh, I. I the the one thing that just didn't ring true for me with this, and I liked, I really liked the uh, short story, is that there's just zero blood. No, I know. There's, there's like none. no blood. No. It's, it's like if if when this thing bites, uh, quote unquote, Brian Adams, when it when it bites the hitchhiker, I mean, I I wanted to see some like really. Yeah egregious violence like and this was a this was a fucking movie you know yeah. it was a two-part i mean it was a two-part television thing but like it's not 
I feel like you could have gone. The, you could have gone away a with that hard. in '97. I mean, it, it, it came out the same year, didn't it? As a as a Nightflyer, right? Yeah, and it came out the same year as the Stephen King uh, or but, the the Shining miniseries, which has some what gore did, in it. But what did this come out on, though? What what this was what cable channel? Let me you know? look real like, quick. It was on Nightflyer ABC. Nightflyer was HBO. Um, okay, okay, there you go. Yeah. That's why. So I mean, because, uh, oh wait, no, it wasn't yeah. actually. It was. Interesting. I, it says that he pitched it. Each episode would be set in a different location. Oh, okay. So after writing a script, it doesn't say that where it was mm. on. Um, but, but obviously it was on TV and yeah. TV in 97. I think it was on Fox. Still it was on Fox. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, Fox you know, gets away with stuff. You know, you still get away with stuff. You know, you, you got X-Files and some violent stuff. I agree that. with you, though. I don't know. I think they pulled their punches with the chattery teeth. 100%. I think it could have been much more frightening uh, when it actually happens. So that when it comes after him and he faints, you really do think it's going to kill him. Yeah. But I just didn't buy it. And then I do like that sequence where, you know, he's dragging the hitchhiker mm-hmm. away uh, just right out of the book. I di- I, I felt like they ended it where they needed to for the, th- for the movie. Mm-hmm. Because because to go back to the store and do all this stuff at the end of the short story, you don't need all that for the for what they're trying to tell here. And from what I could gather, and I didn't watch the the I didn't watch the cutscenes. And I think was it Chris, is Christopher Lloyd the Quicksilver? Yeah, he is. Yeah, Highway, yeah, he's, um, yeah he, which is look, he's the guy he's that's like telling the yeah yeah yeah. And like I didn't get to see that, but I mean. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I'm I'm sure he's great. He's great in and all that kind of stuff that he does. But um I think that they everyone plays kind of dual roles. Mm-hmm. Because uh Sabarge looks like he's a biker or something or or and I think if, in a picture I saw from the still it looked like he was maybe one of the people that he tells the story to and then he's like in the mm, story. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of like that idea cuz then then you can they're kind of like putting themselves as the titular characters in the um but uh the titular characters the characters in the story. Well, what, but one uh, of the problems I have with Garrus though sometimes and this is something that he he doesn't really do so much in the stand um and maybe because the stand is such a holistic story but like at least 97 on um and he does this in a couple other movies that he that especially Stephen King adaptations um he the thing that drives me nuts is that there's such a, a a sort of tall tale aspect to his um his film his horror that like it's very like um <laughs> this is gonna sound mean but like almost like highlights for children um where it's like like it, 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 it reminds me of like the halloween issue of highlights for children where it's like very funny and peachy and you know doesn't get too scary but it's got like kooky scary and for me you're right like this should have been like fucking peter jackson levels of gore if this for this to work like at the end with like the cheat the teeth chattering through the guy and seeing some wild zany gore that's not scary per se but like still makes you go like huh that's cool like almost like not to bring up Raimi again but like evil dead 2 where you get into some sort of yeah, wild fucking door. with with the hand as yeah. silly as that is it's really violent yes um and i felt like that's and again i think it's because <laughs> this is ultimately on tv you know yeah. um yeah but yeah i think it could have it could have been much better if the payoff was uh was much bloodier yeah but, i mean at the uh, end of the day you got to do i'm more interested in knowing what myra's chicken salad sandwich tastes like than anything else i there's there's nothing else in this, this <laughs> store that, that that appeals to me even the teeth don't look scary like you could have made the teeth like kind of chilling 
and almost like um, yeah, somewhat like old fashioned. Like, I just think that it was a miss. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. I, you know, there there were things they were like teeing it off great. You know, the, the look was good. You've got Garrison there. He knows King. Yeah. He knows how to pull something good out of the story, and uh, it just didn't didn't quite make it. Sadly. No. Well, what do you so give for, this? for me? Yeah, I'm gonna give it. Uh, honestly, I'm gonna give it one. Yeah. One bright red Pennywise clown nose. It. it and it gets the one because, you know, it's Garrus, and that's really it. I mean, I thought that this – I did think that it captured the look of the short story. Totally. But other than that, it was, just, it was a hard watch. Yeah. I was I was very bored and, and uh, just not not super invested. And, and, and for such a short story, too, it, it, it just – it, It's boring. a curious pick, and, and I think it – I just don't yeah. think it works on the screen – um, as much as it should, and I mean, it certainly would need uh, f- the finesse of a director that can make the sort of uh, the, the the loony um, entertaining to watch. And I just don't think Eris is the right director for that because I think he gets a little too, um, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a, a little too precious with like some of the funny horror humor. But yeah, one for me, um, and surprisingly. Not the lowest ranked uh, entry of the four that we're talking about today on our on our consequence ranking. It was oh, number wow. it was number seventy four, <laughs> um, which you know certainly makes it uh, you know lower than um, the you know the the number thirty six on uh, for Night Flyer and also the sixty nine for uh, the Moving Finger. But uh, we still got one more story what to was go below this. Uh, <laughs> Dolan, which we're going to get to soon, but Allison wrote this one. Oh up. wow! <laughs> you know, one of our earlier losers. Uh, she wrote the king half of this made-for-TV anthology movie. The other half belongs to Clive Barker. Isn't much to write home about, and to be fair, neither is the Barker half. It's oddly shot with performances that range from wooden to deeply silly. And frequent king interpreter Mick Garris takes every opportunity to say this is spooky, which I agree with. That he possibly can, uh, that he possibly can. Wait for the vulture shot. It's not ten minutes long, but it feels like it. Still. You can't call a movie where a malevolent hitchhiker gets brought down by a pair of chattering toy teeth dull. So it has that going for it. Allison couldn't agree more. But um, yeah, whew. you ready for one final ride? Because I'm ready. Uh, I'm, I've been out in this desert. I'm baking. Oh my pick god! Pick me up, Dolan. <laughs> Dolan is going to pick us up because it's the year 2009, and we're going to be talking about Dolan's Cadillac. Uh, Directed by Jeff Beasley, and you will be happy to know, Mac, that he's a Canadian filmmaker, <laughs> uh, and he's mostly what else has he done? mostly TV movies, which it totally shows okay. on screen. Because yeah. the first thing oh, I yeah. thought of when I started watching this movie, because I watched this back uh, when we did this list, and it was certainly a background watch for me, and it was certainly a background watch again uh, while while watching it for this episode. But the first thing I said was, "Fucking Christ, this looks like the dullest television show." that I've been watching him. There's no clever angles. Like there's a, there's the early scene where, um, the, the two characters are in the kitchen and I'm like, this, this literally looks like a shitty episode of Dexter or something like that. Like it it just doesn't have any finesse. There's no style. Um, however, the talent certainly was with the author, uh, or the writer for this. It was uh, Richard Dooling, uh, hell of a resume. First novel, critical care, was made into a 97 movie of the same title by Sidney Lumet, the late Sidney Lumet, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, much better movie than this oh, one. Wow. Um, stars James Spader and Kira Sedgwick. Uh, his novel, White Man's Grave, uh, was a finalist for the 94 National Book Award for Fiction. 
Uh, he's written op-ed pieces for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, National Law Journal, and for the screen, and this is how he definitely got on to Dolan's, he uh, had worked with King on Kingdom Hospital, which I never watched, but... Um, I never so, saw that either, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're going to get to it eventually. We're going to have to watch that, but uh, um, we'll have oh, to yeah. throw that in with <laughs> Rose Red. Uh, but um, one of the reasons uh. why this hooked me, and I certainly almost watched it in 2009 when it first was released, is because this came out during the rough patch for Christian Slater. It's pre-Mr. Robot, and I am a huge Christian Slater apologist. I'm literally looking at uh, a drawing or a painting, uh, you know, actually <laughs> sketch of uh, of uh, Slater from Heather's, um, where he plays JD, one of my favorite characters. Problematic to say, but I love him. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say Will <laughs> from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, I love Will. I actually want to get his action figure because uh, that's the only Christian Slater action figure I can think of. Uh, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think I had it. Yeah, it's a good, it, it was a rare one, actually, too. Uh, but uh, 2009, hard time for, for, uh, for Slater. Uh, his NBC series, My Own Worst Enemy, which I actually probably am the only person in the world that bought on DVD because I was that much of a fan, uh, had been canceled. <laughs> um, he was in, uh, he was a quiet man with uh, Alicia Cuthbert, which underrated movie, great film. Um, uh, not great film, I'm overstating it, but he's great in the film. <laughs> I was going to say, I was um, like, wait, I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, but his, honestly, okay, okay. his biggest stints prior to this were cameos in the west wing and alias and the minor roles he had in three thousand miles of graceland the contender and very bad things all dating back to the early 2000s so not a great time period for christian slater um but you know what's funny i I actually really like christian slater's cameos in west wing mm -hmm. and alias Mm -hmm. and i feel like that kind of is that's kind of a nice little like where you really worked was television, and yeah. so it's 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 nice that he that he had this little resurgence on Mr. Robot, and then also he, did, he does a voice on Archer playing funny enough. Oh, he's named so Slater, good. Yeah. Which, is, which is great. He's so funny on that. Yeah, but um, yeah, this wasn't a great time for him. And let's just be honest, it wasn't a great time for most of the cast. Yeah, Wes Bentley Oof. on his slow decline. Into never really pans out. I mean, American Beauty. I remember. <laughs> do you remember funny. when he, I mean, he was? Yeah, everyone was yeah. talking about him when American Beauty came out, and he just oh, man. Ugh, and it was like the claim came out after that, or something, Soul you know, Survivors, like, which was just fucking Soul awful. Soul Survivors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw that in theaters. No, look, I, I like Wes Bentley. Okay, um, I think he he's really phoning it in in this movie. Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> just. You know, I was I was happy to see him pop up in Interstellar. You know, mm-hmm. like I I. I, he is, apparently he's a regular on Yellowstone now with Kevin Costner. Bring it back to Kevin Costner Ooh. again. Um, I, I've not seen an episode of that, but I will say he's not great in this. I think that you got, you got some talent in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask: Did you recognize? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, I know Emmanuel. exactly. Yeah, yes, all right, because right. I literally wrote in my notes <laughs> and a ton of stuff. But probably the biggest star we remember Mac from. As Lex's beau in Smallville as Dr. Helen Bryce. Um, so, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Huge Smallville fans. And uh, I, 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 I started watching it and I thought, I oh my God. I was like, who is this? I know who this mm-hmm. is. And I looked it up and I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. Smallville. I can talk Smallville. Okay, now here we go. Let's recast this with Smallville actors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I would love to recast this with Smallville actors because – if I'm going, who would you go as Dolan then? Because I'm interested. Because there are a, a few people from Smallville that you could get to to, to play uh, this. 
Dolan. I pro- honestly, I would, I would have just gone with Rosenbaum. Yeah, I think that. However, uh, I have one more. I think the, I think you got to go with John Glover. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. I was going to go with John Glover. Yeah, I think he he's too. I mean, because the, if you're going to if you're going to shoot it like like the short story where you don't get a lot of Dolan. Yeah, I think you go John Glover. Oh, totally. Because then if you only have him at the end, I just think his. His smugness and all that stuff would be great, Clark. But I don't know Robinson. Maybe, maybe like a. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't. I think. Who do you cast? You could go with. Uh, I mean, if you're going with West Bentley's performance in this, you'd probably grab Welling. <laughs> you, could get, you could probably get a better performance out of Welling in this because I feel like at this point in 2009, oh yeah, he's yeah. taking a break from Smallville. He did the Fog. He's definitely going to do Holland's Cadillac. Um, <laughs> I which oh God, the fog, I the fog yeah. worst Jen Carpenter remake by the Ugh, way, just one awful. Of them, just um, one of the worst. I think honestly, out of Smallville, if I'm taking anyone though to to play uh to play the main here, I go with uh, Oliver Queen and um the, the the Justin Hartley. I think he'd be oh, probably sorry. more interesting than this in this than certainly Wes Bentley because Wes Bentley does the brooding thing. You know, he can do that in his sleep, but when it comes to dialogue and particularly the ending dialogue with Dolan, it's so unconvincing. It's so flaccid that, and he can't even sell the ending. The ending is the easiest thing for him to sell and he couldn't do it. I think you flip this. I think you flip this cast. Mm -hmm. Wes Bentley is Dolan. Yeah. Cut out a lot of the dialogue and you you have Slater as Robinson. I'd love it. Yeah. As as you wouldn't peg him as that character, but I think that he would have really sold that ending. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would be able to be out there, you know, doing all the road work and all that stuff. Like I, I really think is it it's a miscast here. Yeah. Uh, and if we're gonna stay on the cast for a second, did you recognize oh. Tink? Oh yeah, Eugene. I, I read my notes Eugene also. Eugene Clark, our favorite big daddy from Land of the Dead. zombie. Yep. Yep, here we go. <laughs> I was happy to see him, honestly. I, I, I don't love Land of the Dead. I don't um, either. I, it's, it's, it's fine, but I just, I, God, I, I can't stand what Well, I, I, I particularly but, love in Land of the uh, Dead when he's, <laughs> he's pumping gas. Um, and then, because, you know, as we remember in Dawn of the Dead, they remember. Um, there's a, it's a part of something that means something to them. So, you know, I, but I really love in the, in the uh, days or the two days that pass, maybe not even two days. I think it's a day that passes in Land of the Dead. They're able to go from, uh, you know, being the zombies that we always known him as to be to learning everything that Bub learned within. It took Bub like months to fucking pick up a gun or even pick up one of his old books, which I think is a Stephen King uh. book. Um, then to just fucking pick up a, 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 a AK-47 and start firing it. Like, give me a fucking break. It's so it's ridiculous. Um, and, and, and and like like he's like he's used it before. Yeah, <laughs> he's like looking. Yeah, like exactly. Gas station attendant apparently, right? Yeah, like because <laughs> like, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's true to life. I don't know. I don't know. It seems uh, but it was fun to see him in this. Uh, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. So no. I was just like, oh shit, he has a very. I mean, obvious, honestly, he's he looks exactly like he does in Land of the Dead. He does. <laughs> he know? really does. Even if he looks like a zombie, but uh, I just think he's got a great look, and it was fun to see him in this yeah. for sure. But you know um, what? You know what? You know what this fault says is that this is this the classic King fault for adaptations in which you, when you give the producers or the screenwriters or anyone a bare bones story, they're gonna put way too much story in it, and they overwrite the story. I absolutely story agree. So much. Yeah. Ugh, just you don't need any. I, I, 
you mentioned earlier to me about the the human trafficking yeah. angle and all that stuff. I think they were trying to be really poignant at the yeah, time. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, but man, does that storyline just like get lost in the fold? I just I didn't like the fleshed out of anything else. Like I really wish it was just like a forty five minute short movie. Yeah, that was really strictly to the to the story. Now I didn't love Dolan's Cadillac, like the short story. No, I didn't either. But I think you, mm. I think it was it was it could work as a film as a short film, and. I just the idea of them getting trapped and just like, you know, just the whole last 30 minutes of the movie I thought was pretty entertaining actually. I didn't love the performances necessarily, but I was like, okay, I'm like actually watching this now. You know how this works? Um, you know how this works? This this story is just literally a how-to manual to how to fucking trap someone in the fucking highway and bury them. But so because of that, I'm not going to use the cast from Smallville. I'm going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, baby, and I'm getting, uh, I'm getting, um, you know, I'm getting the cast of Breaking Bad. Vince Gilligan directing this <laughs> and getting Aaron Paul as the maligned, uh, you know, main character, and then uh, get for Dolan. Let's go Walter White or go with, uh, you know, uh, oh my God, why is his name He's under the dome? Um, what's his? Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Yeah, his name. I almost. I almost said Michael Chiklis, you know? No. Oh, God. Um, um, uh, Dean Norris. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, Dean Norris. You get Dean Norris or someone like that as, as uh, I think, Walter. I, I think, honestly, Brian Cranston would be the best Dolan. But I, I think, yeah, but I think he would have been a, a good Dolan, too. But you get you get into Norris. the, the you allow what, what Gilligan's so good at in this fucking insane hypothetical of this Um would be the the visual storytelling, and which is what you would need to be able to tell the story properly. And without much dialogue, you just kind of get into yeah. the, the the mindset with the visuals, and also make the trap and the construction of it really entertaining. Like it does an okay job in this, but man, like that's the big that's the meat of the but, story. And to jump on that, Mike, I think that because of that, you what you do is you start this thing with Robinson already working on the yep. street. Yep. And then you you and then in a series of flashbacks and and things as he's working and kind of getting delirious out there in the sun, then you can filter in the the few the few very few flashbacks of mm-hmm. things of why he's actually out there, and then all of a sudden you realize what he's been doing, why he's been doing it, where why he's been working so hard at trying to do this, and it all comes together at the end. Yeah. I think that that is how you do it, but they didn't do it like that. No. <laughs> They um, do this elaborate setup. I, I, oh my god! Like just so elaborate. Why, didn't, point, why is she riding a horse in the middle of the fucking desert? Either it's just so it's 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 a lot. Oh, it's so silly. It's a lot. <laughs> I just I like the idea that you don't get a lot of story in the short story about yeah. how she witnesses and all that. You don't need all that. You know what I mean? Um, I understand because we have a an hour and 30 minutes to tell this story. Now we got to pad it. We got to pad it with all this shit that you didn't need. You didn't need the sit. You didn't need the added thing that she was pregnant. I thought no. that, that was just kind of like, Oh, just right, so you dumb. Know, like you kill his wife. That's enough. Yeah. You know, um, it's 105 minutes. I think this movie, they by also, the <laughs> but they also, I know. And they also have like a, this whole twilight zone ending where, you know, the, the police did get him in the end. Mm hmm. And then he's like, kind of like laughing and lost his mind. It's a little bit like a shot the arrow into the, yeah into the sky episode, you know, where it's like, oh well, you you were you were here the whole time. You got that like you could have, if you had just you know waited mm-hmm. a little longer, 
he would have been caught. But I, I, it, it didn't matter to me because I, I, I was like, no, get your fucking revenge. Like, this yeah. guy killed your life like, exactly. brutally. And he's, he's an awful human being. And I thought I was really thrown off when he's in the car. And Slater's like they're looking at the video where he's realizing like, oh, we're going to be trafficking children. And he's like kind of having a crisis I of know. conscience in that last moment. And you're like, wait, what? What like, are you are we trying to care do for about us? You know? Exactly. That was and then he falls into me. the hole. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> what? It was so like, are so you trying weird. to make us like last minute sympathize with him so that we're like kind of like, oh, no, he should probably let him get out. No, like fucking Tom should kill him. It's over. Like it's done. This guy's it's, it's it's let it happen. I mean, the one positive I think I will say is that the execution of them actually being in the car and the way it hits and the you know it, it was very true to the story. I did feel as if like that 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 element of it was there. It, it just what didn't have the finesse to make it very stylistically entertaining. And you could have gone all in on like the broken bones and all the other stuff that King oh, certainly yeah. does in the in the book. Um, I also think the only scare that I felt was actually pretty good. Uh, it wasn't even a scare. It was just more like a, the way that they shot it was when she finds the girl's dead body in the bed. Yeah. With the mouth sewn shut and the finger like sewn to the mouth. Like yeah. I thought that was pretty creepy. And then they use that again later on in, in an effective way. But that wasn't even a, no. <laughs> that's the only that's like an addition. <laughs> it wasn't even a short story. No, and they take but, away like uh, some of the know, best sometimes. parts. Like one of my creepiest elements of the story is when it's like almost like the tall tale heart or the tall tale heart, where he finishes burying it and he like kind of leans in and he like wonders if he could hear him. He feels like he's yeah. convinced that he could see him screaming. Like that's a better ending to me. Like that's and it's or some, also the idea something they something sorry to cut you off but or oh, something no, 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 they no. do earlier in the earlier in the movie when he's buying the gun mm-hmm. and it's very like fight club like the wife finished the wife finishes the sentences and then he finishes the sentences yeah. you know like she she's like I'll take that gun and he's like I'll take that gun and i like that because it is that is very much like the story where he keeps hearing her voice mm-hmm. yeah and then actually, they just totally point. abandon it the rest of the time and i'm like what do you, i mean he keeps seeing her and like that was fine i liked that because it kind of kept leading him, but I I really wanted more of the voice because that was a that's a really great part of the of the short story at the end when he's like, you know, I no longer hear her voice and you know that's that's like enough you know I, to know that he that to, to to be like okay with what he did. They could have leaned further he, into he that. He knows like yeah yeah. Well, they could have leaned further in that and then just had him like have flashbacks where he like. You know, he's like running his hand through like a bunch of flowers and like he sees his like wife at the, like, the end of the hill and like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. like has like, you know. Now, um, when I when I approached when uh, when they approached me with Dolan's Cadillac, um, <laughs> this is really Scott speaking. Um, you know, I had just I had just finished. I just finished the duelists <laughs> alien. And I was about to do Legend, and I thought, well, you know, let's let's jump forward in time and do <laughs> Dolan's Cadillac. Do Dolan's Cadillac. <laughs> this is a story of revenge. You know, I, I knew I wanted to tell a fairy tale story. story. <laughs> I knew I wanted to tell a fairy tale story, but I really wanted to tell a story about a Cadillac. <laughs> no, revenge is a Dolan's Cadillac. cold, and I love revenge. You know, rip, oh rip, Ripley. Okay, gets, okay, yeah, we got done, but. Um, we've been no wait wait we've been casting stuff and we we already cast this with with Smallville and Breaking Bad now we cast it with characters from Legend <laughs> Legend oh wow well I gotta go with uh, you know you'd think that whew, no Tim Curry's gotta be 
the the fucking Dolan. Uh, he's got to be Dolan. Darkness, darkness is Dolan. Yeah, with the costume. <laughs> I think Gump. I think Gump. <laughs> Gump the is gonna be uh, Robinson, and uh, you know what? Because because she was already in a, a story uh, earlier. I think you get Alice Platon, who played Blix. <laughs> <laughs> as the as wife, the wife. Oh who my gets God. it in the car <laughs> it would be true it would be probably be true to the book where dolan isn't or uh, dolan not but tom isn't this hunky guy like west bentley he's not and, the, and it, they're just like regular you know mill americans like it's not like that was another problem i yeah, had this it's like it's so fucking style like sexual guy yeah no no Having said that, Mia really? Sarah as the wife wouldn't be a problem, and Tom Cruise could probably really fucking own it. it like Tom Cruise would actually, if it was Tom Cruise of 09, he's gonna learn. He's gonna probably work at a like a fucking roadside crew all summer and get this like roll down, and he's gonna do the whole like, thing himself. Tom Cruise dual roles, Dolan and Robinson. Oh my god, he'd do it. He just he, you, but you better get me out of this car right now. He's like, I'm not getting you out of this. I car. I can totally see him doing Dolan, but I can also see him being Robinson. So they I make think, him his I twins. Maybe he's going to be everybody. Yeah, I think he'll be the wife as well, and uh, he'll be the forklift know, uh, <laughs> um, or the, the the roadside equipment. He'll be uh, Tink also. Um, <laughs> this scene is really bizarre. See, God. <laughs> versions of the road equipment with like tom cruise's face it'll, somehow like morphed onto it well, it'll be like new like to bring back noonan it'll be like noonan's role in anomalisa where he's basically playing multiple roles but it's all cruise and cruise is playing the wife he's playing <laughs> he's playing the car like he's you know we get like a fate like almost like a maximum overdrive car but it's, it's tom cruise's face in the front um Oh my we God. have gone off the fucking rails and right into Dolan or into ah, Tom's trap. Love it. Um, what do you give Dolan's Cadillac out of the Pennywise clown noses? Oh man, I give this. Uh, it, it was a hard watch. I, I, I'd give it one. I'll give it one bright red Pennywise clown nose because I did think the last thirty minutes um, was pretty entertaining yeah. just to see just to see that everything kind of come together. And having read the story, I was really interested how they were going to do it. And I thought that when the Cadillac bites the dust into the hole, I thought that's exactly how I kind of pictured it. Yeah. I thought that they kind of nailed that. Other than that, it's a hard watch. It is a, you know, a C movie, like uh, the just the way it's shot. It, totally. it feels so cheap, you know. It's, it's so like directive. Watching, watching a Forces of Nature over here at Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, it really is. It just uh, looks cheap, and it doesn't matter who's in it. No. It's sad because I do love Christian Slater, and I think Wes Bentley has some good performances in him. Just did not bring it to this this 2009's Dolan's catalog. No. no, you know what's funny is in Mike, an alternate you, universe, Wes Bentley is a year removed from The Dark Knight. Because uh, I believe he tried out for Bruce Wayne, uh, didn't work. Swung and a miss. Um, for me, I'm gonna go one and a half, just because you know it's this is my Slater fanboy coming in. I can't give my voice Slater a one. It's just it's not fair. But I'll give him a half. So does um, Slater give it the half? Or Slater is gets he the it the one half. star. He's well, he's both the one the, clown the nose the one, the and half. Star. half <laughs> I'll, I'll give him the half also. Oh, the clown nose. Excuse me. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. Um, so yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, one and a half, whatever. Um, Number seventy five on our ranking for consequence. Uh, yeah, I I wrote it actually. Um, I I said, you oh, know, what'd you say? I I wrote. Uh, Christian Slater has saved many films in his life, but Dolan's Cadillac is not one of them. Um, 
I call it a sleazy genre affair, uh, garish overacting, total lack of self-awareness. Uh, um, I call it a hard-boiled, I call it would-be hard-boiled revenge story, only its tires go flat right out of the gate without a spare in sight. Oh, that's not that bad. Good job, Mike. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's like, think back, oh, it's, it's think back to the premise of James O'Barr's The Crow, strip out the gothic overtones, replace them with the desert raunch and a flu-rattled Joe Carnahan. And you got that. And you got Dolan's Cadillac. Um, I did make fun of Wes Bentley. I said if they had a little more of a lead with, they had a lead with a little more chutzpah, it might have fared differently. Call it a predictable waste of time. So, oh, well. I guess it does deserve to be number 75. I think that's the most scathing write-up we have uh, out of all of them. Um, And we were pretty harsh to this today. I think, um, you know. The brevity of 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 chattering uh, chattery teeth would probably have me revisit that over Dolan's catalog anytime soon. So, yeah, it's just e- an easier pill to swallow. I also think, you know, if you're looking for West Bentley in the desert, I'd, I would I would much rather recommend Four Feathers Ooh. with uh, who would also be come the Joker. So there's your Batman. Good the, call, <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Bentley. Uh, our, our, our hearts are you. You know what? He's doing fine. He's in, he got to go with Christopher Nolan. Oh, he's doing, he's doing great. In he's, Interstellar. He's, he's having dinners with Kevin Costner now. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad he's got some, some solid work. I did like Interstellar. I, I did like seeing him kind of come back. I just think this was a rough time. You yeah. know, you coming off of films like the claim that just didn't do no just didn't do <laughs> the great claim and uh, uh i think i just keep i always because when i saw that trailer in the theaters i thought oh i want to watch this because it had wes bentley in it and i thought that it was going to be good and i thought yeah. and i never saw it and i just felt like his career just kind of petered out after that for i i, I mean i i i heard some some negative things and i, I don't want to add to rumors but um i'm glad that he's I'm glad that he's back out there. He's doing just uh, fine. The Yellowstone National Park with Kevin Costner. Look, we know several actors in Hollywood that are in much smaller roles that get much bigger, that get hell of a paycheck. So I can only imagine he's doing just fine in what he. What, I know. What I, I'm done. sitting here like like laughing, but yeah. like I actually do like Wes Bentley in general. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I just think this was just. I, you no. can tell he just did not want to be. No, and who would part of this? I at mean, least for most of the movie. But no. ugh, yeah. yeah, I'm glad Slater's in much better, uh, much better terrain right now. Um, anyway, you hear that? Uh, I believe that's the Night Flyer. He's taking our copies of Nightmares and Dreamscapes and flying away. Thank God. Uh, wave to him, constant listeners. Wave goodbye. Because we are... It, this is it. That's that's. This is the last time we're going to be revisiting <laughs> Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Maybe they'll have some annotations from this book, God willing. Um, God bless any filmmakers that come uh, across. Um, clearly one of the most polarizing... Uh, coverages of uh, Stephen King lore that we've had yet on uh, yeah. in Losers Club history. Um, totally. So I guess the question is, what's next? Well, uh, for this month, we've got two episodes hitting our uh, Patreon next week. One's on the music in King's Dominion, uh, you know Stephen King's favorite jams that he's put in the pages. Uh, although I might pivot that over to favorite scores because uh, it's a lot of work going through all the pages and we might want to save the rock and roll king for a little bit later. And I think everyone on Patreon right now is having fun 
uh, talking about scores because I did a, a really fun poll and I realized that I couldn't even single out my favorite score in Stephen King, uh, yeah, the universe. So maybe we'll yeah. do that. Um, and then next after that is uh, the review of uh, The Living Dead by George Romero and uh, Daniel Krauss. I'm about 200 pages in. It's a 600-page book. I'm trying to get it finished. But if I can't get it finished in time, we're going to discuss instead – uh, one of the recent prompts on our social media, which turned out to be very successful and very fun for all of you. So uh, we've had a few of those, so you'll, you know, you can take your guess, but you'll have to keep your eyes glued to our socials to find out what that episode will be. Um, as for the next feed, next episode in this feed, uh, we're going right back to the stacks uh, and we're going to be revisiting a very familiar place. Uh, Castle Rock? Nope. Uh, go to the left. Dairy Maine. Uh, don't expect any dancing clowns, though, uh, because we're going to be hanging out with some, quote unquote, little bald doctors. Uh, I don't know what that means. So we're going to have to tune in uh, <laughs> because we're going to be reviewing insomnia, old folks, small planes, C4 and plenty of King's Dominion, rest assured. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Mac, do you have anything to plug? Uh, what, what, uh, what are we doing over in Halloweenies? I think we've just finished Jason Lives, which that that episode's in the feed. Are you going to be back for New Blood? We just finished Jason Lives. I am definitely going to be on New Blood. Very excited to talk about, and which I'm sure we will talk about some of the Stephen King uh, parallels as we have the oh. new psychic character introduced, where they're pulling from Carrie. <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> can't wait to talk about New Blood. Honestly, it's the one I've probably seen the least. Um, same same so i i'm actually really excited to watch it again uh i just watched jason lives and i had a blast Love of doing that sadly not on the episode but i'm i'm really excited to listen to it uh so if you like friday the 13th and you just like horror in general hop on over to halloweenies um we're keeping it fresh with new content <laughs> tons of new content because uh, we're doing a patreon now tons too. of new content yeah yeah we're going to be doing a new patreon so we're going to have some some great stuff coming out there as well uh yeah well in the meantime uh you know we got tons of content on our end also but uh and you'll have to wait for it but uh you could leave us a review on apple Podcasts. we'd really love some bright red pennywise clown noses ourselves uh, and be sure to stay tuned to our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, tons of quote unquote fresh content to borrow from rock and Randall. Uh, and as I mentioned before, we are delivering so many episodes and so much content, so many polls, so many images, so many archival material on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash the Barons. Uh, plenty of tears, plenty of options, plenty of adventures with us. Your favorite, your devoted, your only losers club. Until then, we'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. Here we go. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.